This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello, Bible scholars and Bible students. Jeremy Myers here. I'm your teacher for the One Verse Podcast. Thanks for listening. You know, uh, there's a lot of mindless, entertaining podcasts you could be listening to, but you chose to listen to this podcast, where we study the Bible verse by verse, dig deep into the theology of the text, and I want to thank you for that. It means that you are serious about understanding what Scripture says, knowing how to apply it to your lives, and look, I know I listen to a lot of sort of mindless, entertaining podcasts as well on my commute to work, and so that's okay. Uh, But it's also important to get some good Bible teaching and ask some deep theological questions from time to time as well. And so since you listen to this podcast, that's what you're getting. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. Having said all that, though, let me ask you a question. Do you think it is possible for your theology to become an idol? You know, do, do you sometimes think that we allow our study of, of God, you know, even what we think we know about God, to maybe get in the way of worshiping God or obeying God? In other words, do you think we Christians ever make our theology of God more important than God himself? <laughs> Is it possible for your theology to become an idol? Well, that's what we're going to look at today in Jonah 2, verses 7 to 8. We're going to see that Jonah sort of faced this question himself as well, or at least God was asking this question to Jonah. And, you know, I imagine that after you listen today, you might want to sort of take a closer look at some of what I say a little bit. And if so, the best way to do that is to make sure you join the online discipleship group, because when you do that, you can download the podcast transcripts for all of my podcasts, not only these ones here in Jonah, but also the ones in Genesis, and then whatever we turn to next. Uh, That way you can download them, print them, and read them, pass them around as Bible studies, whatever it is you want to do. So... um, I'd encourage you to join the discipleship area. You just go to redeeminggod.com slash join, and that way when you access the, the show notes, like, for example, this one's found at redeeminggod.com slash Jonah 2, 7, and 8. Uh, that's underline 2, underline 7-8. Basically, wherever space would be, I'd put an underline. And uh, when you go there, as a member, you can download the transcript, print them out, pass them around, read them for yourself, study them later, file them away, whatever it is you want to do. So uh, anyway, uh, get started to join the discipleship group by going to redeeminggod.com slash join. There's various options there. There's a free one, Grace, and then the Faith, Hope, and Loved Ones. Uh, but they all of them, no matter which one you choose, can uh, download the transcripts for the various podcasts. By the way, I noticed this past week that only the most recent 50 episodes were on iTunes, and I so I fixed that in uh, my my website, so that now all of the episodes are there. So if you missed some of the earlier Genesis uh, podcast episodes, those are now available for you to download on iTunes as well. Now, uh, before we discuss whether or not you and I engage in theological idolatry, putting our theology as more important than God himself, I do want to take a quick look at the text uh, for today, which is Jonah 2, verses 7 and 8. 
And, uh, you know, just like normal, we're going to see what the text says, and then we'll consider some of the questions that are raised by the text. So beginning with verse 7, it says, uh, Jonah's still praying here, and he says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. So now, as you may recall, uh, Jonah's prayer is a chiastic structure. It's sort of a fancy uh, outline where the main point of the outline is in the center. So you work your way into the main point, and then you work your way back out by repeating basically everything you've already said. Now, in, in previous podcast episodes, you may recall that the chiastic structure, the chiasm, ended at the end of verse 6. Okay, The, the central point was in verse 4, and Jonah worked his way into that with verses 2 and 3, and then he worked his way back out with verses 5 and 6, with that central point in verse 4. So the thing is, there's still three more verses in the prayer, right? There's 7, 8, and 9. Uh, so the prayer isn't done. So what, what are these? how do these three verses fit in to, to Jonah's prayer, to the structure? Well, it's interesting. Uh, verse 7 is actually a, a repeat of the central point. Right? Jonah goes back to the central point of verse 4, and he repeats it here in verse 7. And the reason is because he wants to say something important, which is said in verses 8 and 9. And uh, those two verses are dependent on this verse, on, on, on repeating the main point. And verses 8 and 9, I would say, are sort of the punchline, or the main focus of the prayer. I would say probably that the most shocking part of the prayer is in verses 8 and 9. We're going to look at verse 8 today, and then we'll save verse 9 for next week. So, uh, But first, let's look at verse 7. So verse 7 is a repeat of verse 4, as I just said. Uh, and the central point of the prayer, which was said there in verse 4, and which Jonah repeats here in verse 7, is that he, Jonah, wants to go worship God in his holy temple. And remember, we talked about this previously, especially when we looked at verse 4. Uh, you can go listen to that, episode 77, if you want. Uh, Jonah's not referring here to the physical temple in Jerusalem, but to the spiritual temple, the heavenly temple, uh, up in heaven with God. So, uh, throughout this prayer, what Jonah is basically saying is, God, uh, I, am a, I am ready to die. I, I cannot wait to die. I'm excited to die <laughs> Because then I can come worship you in your holy temple. I can offer sacrifices to you in your holy temple in heavenly places. It's going to be wonderful. I cannot wait. All right. Now, throughout this prayer, as we've seen, Jonah expects, believes that he is about to die in the belly of this fish. And then he's going to be able to go to heaven where God is, worship God in the holy temple. All right. So, so that's verse four. And then he says the same thing basically here in verse seven. All right. So. Uh, that, that's all I really want to say about verse 7. Again, if you want more, go back and listen to episode 77. and Or, or read the transcript, as I said. If you're part of the discipleship group, just uh, go read the transcript. Get a little refresher on episode 77. That's uh, found at redeeminggod.com slash Jonah 27. All right, underline 2, underline 7. All right, uh, so verse 8 then. What's interesting about verse 8 is that, that in the Hebrew, it's only five words long. Five Hebrew words. <laughs> And if you were to compare some Bible translations on verse 8, you're going to see that there is a lot of scholarly disagreement on what Jonah is saying and how to translate these verses and what they mean. All right. And I don't have time really to get into the technical details behind all this debate. By the way, I'm writing a commentary on Jonah 
as we go along here. So I will include some of the technical details in that commentary for those of you who want it, those of you uh, who really like to dig deep into the Hebrew text and, and, and the minutia of, of scholarly debate and so on. It'll be in the commentary, some of it anyway. Uh, for the podcast, though, I just want to sort of state sort of my conclusions uh, based on my study on what these five words, uh, how they should be translated and what they mean. All right, so the first three words of verse 8 are typically translated in that first line of verse 8, and I translate them, uh, those who pay heed to vain idols. All right, uh, Jonah here is sort of criticizing idol worshipers, you know, those who worship, follow, and obey false gods of their own making. Jonah's, Jonah's mocking them, scorning them, yeah, those, those people who, who worship false idols, right? That's sort of how the first line of verse 8, the first three words of verse 8, that's what they mean. Now, when Jonah is talking about people who pay heed to vain idols, is he thinking about, you know, just generic people, wherever they are, whoever they might be, whatever land they're from, you know, just people out there, sort of just this, this, this nameless, faceless, massive idol worshipers in the world? Is that what he's referring to? <laughs> I don't think so, because in the immediate context, just a few verses prior to this, there were some specific people who worshipped and prayed to false idols. And who were they? <laughs> the sailors, of course. Back in, in Jonah 1, verse 5, it was the sailors who offered prayers to their gods while they're in the midst of the storm. Remember, Jonah at the time, he's down below deck, sleeping. And they finally wake him up, and they call on him to cry out to his own God. Jonah, we're praying to our gods and nothing's happening. Maybe you can cry out to your God, and he will listen and calm this storm, right? right? He will save us. Uh, so, so when Jonah here starts to look down his self-righteous nose at those who worship vain idols, right? I am convinced that he has the sailors in view. So, so the first part of verse 8 Jonah, yeah, he, he's, he's criticizing those who vain, worship vain idols, but, but he, he's specifically thinking about the sailors and, and how they worship and they pray to vain idols. And notice Jonah's thinking, they prayed to their false gods and nothing happened. But when I told them what my God wanted, well, then the storm was calmed, right? That's what Jonah has in mind here. And then that then leads to the next two words in the Hebrew text, which, uh, again, is translated various ways in our English translations. I translate it as, neglect their shame. So those who worship vain idols, neglect their shame. Again, your Bible translation, if you're, you're looking at, you know, the New King James or NIV or something, it's going to say something different, you know, something along the lines of, uh, you know, forsake their own mercy or something like that. Uh, but I am convinced that the words Jonah uses here are best understood in, in, in light of the concepts of honor and shame that guided Mediterranean culture. I did my master's thesis on this, and so I, I do see it all over the place in the Bible. And most people, because we modern Western civilization people, whether you're in Europe or, or North America— uh, we, we don't understand the honor-shame mindset because we're more of a materialistic mindset. You know, we're guided by whoever has the most toys wins. So we want a big house and a big car, and, and that is what controls us and guides us, and that's, that's how, you know, marketing works, all of that stuff. Uh, it, we're a materialistic culture. 
But that's not the same thing in an honor-shame culture. They didn't really care about possessions. They cared about honor and shame. And in an honor-shame culture, by the way, certain cultures today are honor-shame. Many Asian cultures are still honor-shame. Many Middle Eastern cultures are honor-shame as well, even today. And that's why there's often so many differences and differences of opinion and disagreements between various cultures today, because we each have different priorities. Anyway, in this honor-shame culture, honor must be protected and shame must be corrected. All right? You build up your honor and you do everything you can to protect your honor. And if somehow you do something that brings shame to you or your family or your town or your people, then you must do everything and anything you can to correct it. And sometimes the only thing you can do is, is to kill yourself, to commit suicide. That happens sometimes uh, in, those, in those cultures because it's the only way out of shame that the person can and, uh, you know, think, think to do. And uh, so um, in those societies, it's only the lowest degenerates of society who neglect their shame, right? Who, 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 who when they bring shame upon themselves or their family, they don't care and they don't do anything. That's like, those people are the worst of the worst. You know, I imagine it's sort of like if you were to see someone uh, sitting in their own urine and feces, you know, imagine the feeling of disgust that wells up in your, sort of in your stomach, in your heart, and just in your mouth. You look at this person, oh my word, how could they just sit there in, in, in their urine, and their feces? Don't they care about what this, that's so gross, okay? That is the exact same feeling that someone in an honor-shame culture has when they see someone neglecting their shame. It's the worst of the worst. You, you just can't do that, okay? And that is what... By the way, I, I, it just occurred to me, I should publish that, that master's thesis for if you want to read it. Maybe I'll put it, uh, make it available somehow. That's going to take some, some time, but I'll, I'll make that a project of mine. I imagine lots of people would want to read up on some of this. really opens your eyes to a lot of scripture. So um, if that's something you want, let me know. Send me an email or contact me or something, and it's that way no people might want to read this. Otherwise, I just won't do it. Uh, anyway, this is what Jonah is saying about these idol-worshiping sailors. They're behaving in the worst possible way, right? They're, they're idol worshipers, and so they are neglecting their shame. Uh, he's basically saying they don't contribute in, in, in the honorable efforts of their family, their nation, their people, even their gods, right? They, they are the worst type of people. That's how Jonah is judging them and condemning them. Now, do you remember what we actually saw in chapter 1? In, in the text so far, who is it that has behaved the most shamefully? Uh, maybe if you remember some t- early when uh, our English texts say that Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, I told you that what he was actually doing there is fleeing from the face of the Lord. That's what it means. And the face is a very honorable part of a person, the most honorable part. And so by fleeing from the face of the Lord, he was basically turning his back on God. Remember, I told you this was equivalent to giving God the finger, uh, spitting in God's face, you know, something like that, telling God to go, uh, you know, (laughs) fill in the blank himself. So who in the, in the book so far, in the story, is neglecting their shame? 
it's not the sailors, it's Jonah. It's Jonah who has behaved in the most shameful of ways possible, and worst of all, he doesn't even recognize it. He's not done anything to correct his shameful behavior. He hasn't confessed or repented. He hasn't told God he was sorry. He hasn't said, God, I'd be willing to go to Nineveh if you get me out of this fish. Nothing. He's not promised to obey. He's not done the tiniest thing that a person that would be expected of someone who has brought so much shame on himself and on God. You know, the sailors, on the other hand, (laughs) they've behaved with great honor. First of all, they didn't do anything to bring shame on themselves in the first place. Uh, So they didn't have any shame to correct. But beyond that, they behaved extremely honorably in the text. Uh, Notice, for example, the the first thing they tried to do, when they found out Jonah was the one, remember they drew the straws, uh, drew cast lots to find out who was guilty for the storm. Now, you and I, we would seek revenge. What do they do? They knew that Jonah was a guest on their ship. And in an honor-shame culture, you do everything and anything you can to protect your guests. It's a law of hospitality. And so what do they do? They, they, they try to do everything they can to protect Jonah and his life. Um, even after he told them, you got to throw me overboard. They didn't want to do that. This is because it would have been shameful for them. Okay, And then finally, when they realize they have no other choice, they have no other option, before they throw Jonah overboard, they pray to his God and say, God, we're sorry, we don't want to do this, but he's told us this is what you want. We're not really sure, but he sure is guilty. He's admitted his guilt. So, so God, we're just doing, this is very honorable as well. They're asking forgiveness to Jonah's God before they even do anything to Jonah. All of this is extremely honorable behavior. So here in verse 8, Jonah, he clearly has the sailors in mind. He's accusing them, judging them, looking down his self-righteous nose at them. He makes two disdainful remarks about them. He says they're worthless idol worshipers and they neglect their shame. Right, And, and, and we're going to go on in verse 9 next week and see some more things that he says about the sailors. These snide, condemning, judgmental remarks that he he directs towards the sailors and in the process praises himself. Uh, you know, I'm so great. They're so evil. That's, that's what verse nine is going to be as well. Same thing we've seen here in verse eight. And what's interesting is that everything Jonah accuses the sailors of being guilty of is in fact something that he himself is guilty of doing. And everything he praises himself for is something the sailors have actually done, while Jonah hasn't. So basically, everything Jonah says about the sailors in verses 8 and 9 is completely wrong and is in fact true of himself, and vice versa. Everything he says about himself, praises himself, uh, is false uh, and is true of the sailors. And you know, this realization got me thinking um, about verses, well, verse 8 specifically. If, if pretty much everything Jonah says about the sailors in verses 8 and 9 is wrong about them and true about him, what about that very first line, the first three words of verse 8? At the beginning of verse 8, Jonah condemns those who pay heed 
to vain idols. Now remember, as we've seen, basically everything that Jonah says about the sailors is wrong about them, but true about him. Okay, uh, he, he says they neglected their shame. Well, who is it that's neglected their shame? Jonah has, okay? And we'll see a lot more of these sorts of statements as we get into verse 9. So when Jonah here at the beginning of verse 8 accuses the sailors of worshiping vain idols, I think the question that you and I as students of the text are supposed to ask ourselves is, wait a second. Jonah's accusing, condemning the sailors here of idol worship. If everything else Jonah says about the sailors is wrong about them, but true about him, does this mean that Jonah is actually the idol worshiper in the text? Now, uh, last week I wasn't able to get this podcast episode out, and it's because of this very question. I really struggled with this. Like, what is the story of Jonah here saying that Jonah is an idol worshiper? And it really, it really got me. But the more and more I studied and read and thought and looked at the text and looked at the context, even looked forward into chapter 4 where we started to get some conclusions about this dilemma here, I came to the conclusion that, yes, in fact, the, the text is saying here is that that Jonah is an idol worshiper. Now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand. I am not at all saying that the God of the Bible, right, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God revealed in Jesus Christ, I am not saying that that God is an idol. <laughs> I am not saying that. That is not what I am suggesting. The God of the Bible, right, the God revealed in Jesus Christ is the one true God, the creator and ruler of the universe. The only God who exists, okay? What I am suggesting, or actually what I believe the text is suggesting, is that while Jonah does worship that God and claim to follow that God and obey that God, Jonah also has an idol set up in his heart. He is the idol worshiper in the text. And that happens with all of us from time to time. I think, you know, we claim to worship God and follow Jesus, but we also have these idols that we set up. So the question for the text then is, what was Jonah's idol? If he's the idol worshiper, what was Jonah's idol? And I, we're going to see as we work our way through chapter 3, and especially as we get into chapter 4, Jonah's idol is Jonah's theology. All right, Throughout chapter 1, and now in chapter 2, We've seen time and time again that Jonah engages in some bizarre practices which cause him to directly and blatantly disobey God. Uh, We we saw Jonah behave hatefully toward the Ninevites. We're going to see that again in chapter 3, by the way. Uh, We've seen Jonah behave hatefully towards the sailors. And we're going to see some more of that in verse 9, 2-9, when we get there next week. Uh, We've seen Jonah has a pretty high opinion of himself. He's fairly self-righteous, proud, arrogant of himself. Uh, We've seen that Jonah would rather die than do what God has asked him to do. And, 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 you know, Jonah knows an awful lot about God. He's a prophet of God. Uh, He probably knows more about God than most of the people alive at that time. You know, today we might call him a pastor, a priest, or, uh, you know, a seminary professor. He he would be the equivalent of someone who has a PhD in, in theology. Uh, And so we've seen, though, that Jonah has some fairly major holes in his theology. And as God tries to work with Jonah to fill in the holes in Jonah's theology, 
Jonah continues to resist God. Uh, Jonah, as we're seeing in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we'll see it in chapter 3, we'll see it in chapter 4, this sort of a theme we're going to see pop up over and over as we work our way through. Jonah prefers to keep his theology the way it is, rather than allow God to step in and tweak a few things in Jonah's thinking. We're going to see as as we work our way through the book of Jonah, that although the book of Jonah is about God's mission to the people of Nineveh, all right, the book of Jonah is also about God's mission to the heart of one of God's prophets, to the heart of Jonah. It's sort of a main theme of the book of Jonah. Yeah, God's concerned about the Ninevites, absolutely. But God is also concerned about what's going on in Jonah's heart. And God's on a mission to reach Jonah's heart. We're seeing in chapters 1 and 2 that that as God tried to teach Jonah something new, Jonah continues to resist it. Jonah's rebellion against God, his shameful behavior towards God, is actually a result of some poor theology that Jonah has about God. And God wants to change that and fix that. But so far, Jonah is doing everything he can to resist the change. Uh, He's pretty confident that that what he thinks about God is true. Uh, And and other people, um, you know, about himself, what he thinks about God, himself, other people, it's all true. I'm correct in my theology. That's what he thinks. And he doesn't want anything to change his theology, even if it's God himself who's trying to change Jonah's theology. Jonah is resisting this change. And so Jonah has made an idol of his theology. He's constructed it, built it, shaped it, formed it, sent it, set it up on his mantle in his heart and said, that's the way it is. (laughs) All right? The way Jonah thinks about God has now become more important than what God is trying to reveal to Jonah. And when I came to see this in the text, I I came to realize this is true of a lot of us Christians today, isn't it? Uh, we're, all, we're all on the exact same boat. Maybe I should say the exact same fish. <laughs> um, some Christians are so confident that the way they view God is exactly correct in every detail, and anybody who disagrees with them, you know, must be uh, misled at best, heretic at worst. <laughs> you know, I had, a, I had a guy on Facebook just this week. I, asked, I, I wrote a quick post about um, it's actually what it means to be spiritually dead. I was wondering about this. And I had a guy who commented on this. Basically, he equated me with Satan, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, for questioning God. Uh, because I, I, I was wondering what it meant in Ephesians 2, verse 1, to be dead in sin. I asked the question, what does this mean? A lot of people think it means to be spiritually dead, but is that what it means? And, and I was just asking the question. A lot of people had some really good responses. I, I'm studying the word dead for my gospel uh, for the Gospel Dictionary course which uh, hopefully we'll get that lesson published in the next week or two. So if you're taking that course, you can listen to it, find out what my conclusions were on Ephesians 2.1 and and what the word dead means in the Bible. It's also, we'll be talking about James 2, uh, dead faith. So again, all that will be in the Gospel Dictionary course uh, when uh, I I publish this lesson on the word dead in the next week or two. But anyway, this guy on Facebook, he didn't like it, that I was simply asking a question. And so he accused me of basically being the mouthpiece of Satan. That's what I'm talking about here. 
when we don't let anyone question our theology or even raise questions or, or, or issue challenges to the way we think, what we've been taught, uh, I believe that we have made an idol out of our theology. Uh, I'm convinced that in some cases, even if God or Jesus Christ himself showed up in our living room and said, you know, started to raise questions about the theology of some Christians, those Christians would condemn Jesus as a heretic, a blasphemer. And guess what? That's exactly what they did do in Jesus' day. The religious people of the days of Jesus, in the days of Jesus, accused him of being a blasphemer. A mouthpiece of Satan. So here's what I'm saying. Hold, hold your theology lightly. Always be humble in what you think about God and how you understand Scripture. And uh, allow questions to be asked. Invite challenges to your thinking. No matter where they come from. Uh, I have found that some questions from Muslim friends of mine have been very helpful. And as I think about my faith and what I believe. And uh, so I don't, you know, ignore their questions. They raise some good points, some good issues. Look at it this way. If you're wrong, don't you want to know? If you're right, then no matter what question gets asked, you will be able to defend the truth. So whether you're right or wrong, questions are helpful. So I think God was trying to challenge Jonah's thinking through the words and actions of these pagan, idol-worshipping sailors. Yeah, it's true. They were pagan. They were idol-worshippers. And God wanted to teach Jonah something about Jonah's theology through the sailors. And we're going to see the same exact thing from the Ninevites in Jonah chapter 3. But, but rather than allow some challenges to his theology, Jonah condemns the pagan sailors. He's going to p- condemn the pagan Ninevites. All right. Uh, well, they're idol worshipers. I don't need to listen to them. They neglect their shame when really it's Jonah all along. I think sometimes God uses people we would never expect to question and challenge our theology today as well. Maybe homeless people, the poor and homeless, oh, the uneducated. Right? As I mentioned, the Muslims, whoever it might be, people you hate, God is often going to use them to raise questions and issue challenges to your theology. It's how God did it with Jonah anyway. So don't be surprised if questions and challenges to your thinking comes from people that you would rather hate. Um, these questions are more likely to come from your, you know, your Muslim coworker or your, your, your atheist neighbor rather than in your Bible study or listening to a sermon in the pew. I firmly believe that. So, so again, stay humble, keep seeking, keep listening. By the way, if you know a little bit about my story, that guy who called me, you know, basically the mouthpiece of Satan for asking questions, that was me. I mean, that wasn't me, but I was the same type of person, I don't know, it was about 10, 15 years ago, I suppose. Um, so I understand where he's coming from. But uh, about 10 years ago, I, I began to ask God, honestly, God, show me where I'm wrong. Teach me the truth. Help me understand you more deeply. <laughs> And those were some very dangerous prayers. I was shocked at how quickly he answered those prayers. And for a while, my life, I, I, I literally, not literally, but I felt 
I understand where Jonah's coming from here. This deep depression and despair that he feels down in the belly of the fish. His life is turned upside down. That's the way I felt. I felt like my whole world dropped out from underneath me. All my dreams and hopes and plans vanished overnight. Everything I thought I knew about God literally went up in smoke. Okay, not literally. I keep saying literally, but you know, it figuratively went up in smoke. I felt like I was dying. Um, I was angry and upset. I was angry at God. I was, oh, it was a terrible time. But God, in the last decade, has been slowly rebuilding my life and my theology. I still have a long way to go. But that's okay because it is part of the journey. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're going through something similar. Your life has been turned upside down. Your theology has, has more questions than answers. And that's okay. Uh, you know, and I, I would love to journey with you through some of this, if that's something you would like. I'd like to share some of my story with you, have you share some of your story with me, also give you a safe place to ask some of your questions if that's what you want. Nobody's going to judge you, condemn you. Uh, and that's one of the things, by the way, that I try to do in my online discipleship group. I, I want to, well, first of all, we start off, and I share some of my story with you, and then I invite you to share some of your story with me. Now, just this last week, I, I uh, started sort of a, a private Facebook group. If you're on Facebook and uh, want a safe place to share your story, connect with other people, ask questions. Um, I, I, after, after you join me in the, in the online discipleship group, I send you an invite for joining that group on Facebook. So if that's something you're interested in, again, go to redeeminggod.com join, and you can sign up there. Um, you know, we, we allow questions to be asked and our theology to be challenged. So again, uh, I, I encourage you to sign up, hold your theology lightly, be humble, but also seek out people. Maybe I can be one, but maybe there's someone else in the group. Who knows? Maybe there's someone in the group who lives near you and you can get together with them, have a cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is you drink, uh, hang out, get, get together with a meal. I don't know how God might use that group, but I'm trying to do what I can to connect with people around the world and allow you to connect with each other. So uh, if that's something you want to, to do, uh, go go to redeeminggod.com slash join. There's four levels there. Uh, the free one is the grace. It's the free grace level. And then there's three paid levels, uh, faith, hope, and love. And all of them are basically the same. The only real difference between the free levels and the paid levels is that the paid levels get you access to all of my online courses. Like I mentioned this course, the Gospel Dictionary, I'm doing this lesson on the word dead. Uh, you'd have to be part of the faith, hope, or love levels to get access to that course. Uh, but everybody gets access to the Facebook, or the Facebook group. So um, where we talk about theology, encourage, challenge one another. Anyway, I can't wait to share some of my story with you and hear some of your story as well. Um, in this group, we want to follow Jesus, not our theology. Okay? Wherever he leads, <laughs> even if it's to Nineveh. Right? So I can't wait to share the road with you for a while. And I'll see you there inside the Facebook group and inside the discipleship group. Go to redeeminggod.com join to get started. Join me next week as we pick back up with Jonah chapter 2, verse 9.